Church family, I'm excited to be with you on this Sunday morning and preach this word that God has given me. You know, I don't take it for granted that you could be doing anything else right now or be anywhere else right now, but you come to this channel to learn and hear the preached word of God. And on this Sunday, I'm preaching a fundamental text that will help us gain better insight onto what we claim to believe and what we should believe and who we profess as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I get started, what I want to do is acknowledge everyone and just say a special thanks to all of you all that just make this moment happen. From the media team, from your contributions, through your tithes and offerings, to the people that work from behind the scenes. I just felt it in my spirit just to say thank you. And those of you that watch and are viewing and just send your prayers for me on my behalf, that those of you that send your prayers on behalf of my family and on behalf of the deacons and staff here, all of you all that are praying, we thank you for that because the power of prayer is what has sustained this ministry. So thank you for that. And now we can get into the preached word of God. Brothers and sisters, we are coming from a very common passage of scripture this Sunday. We are coming from a gospel. And remember, gospel means what? That's right, good news. And the good news gospel this Sunday morning comes from John, you guessed it, 316. Oh yes, you've heard it before. You've seen it many times before. I'm coming from John 316. This is such a common passage of scripture that yes, I have my Bible here to read it. But I also have it memorized in my head and written on my heart. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, you got to put that if in there, they shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, brothers and sisters, the reason why I wanted to preach this text this Sunday is because I'm coming from a fundamental understanding of our belief. And that is that salvation only comes through believing in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot going on in the world where people try to have God without Jesus or try to say, well, you don't really need to, to, to believe in Jesus to have a relationship with God. It's a lot of things out there. But this Sunday, in this message, you're going to understand why Jesus Christ is essential to our belief and our salvation as Christians. Let me say it once again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, this is arguably one of the most common passages of scripture. And this is one of the first scriptures, one of the main scriptures used in evangelism. You see, brothers and sisters, we see this passage of scripture plastered across billboards. Sometimes you see it on people's bumper stickers. You see it on shirts. You see it on coffee mugs. Some people put it on rubber bands and wear it around their wrists. This is a very common passage of scripture. But John 3.16 is about salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, when we think about this sacrifice, this should bring us to the question of what is salvation? What are we being saved from? What does it mean to be saved? You know, that used to be a common word back in, 
in, in the early days of, of Christianity or, or back in the, the old church, people used to ask, is, is so-and-so saved? Do, do, do you know Jesus? You see, you don't hear those terms like you used to. You don't hear people asking you if, if this person or that person is saved. Now, nowadays, we just take salvation for granted. And brothers and sisters, it is spiritual malpractice to come to church, to know this passage of scripture, but not understand what it means for your life now and after death. You see, medical malpractice is when doctors misdiagnose or prescribe the wrong medicine or treatment for a patient in need of care and it results in further injury. So therefore, spiritual malpractice is when faith leaders misinterpret the text, don't hear correctly from God, and preach out a false message or don't give the proper instruction, therefore resulting in lost souls. And brothers and sisters, we don't want to have a case of spiritual malpractice here when it comes to the text. You see, since John 3.16 is traditionally our foundational passage of scripture as it pertains to salvation, we must examine what this text truly means. And we must revisit the fundamental aspects of our belief. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we get so caught up in the theatrics of preaching. Sometimes we get so caught up in telling stories, bringing out and expounding upon texts that, that we like the most and, and, and doing all of these different things and talking about all these different concepts and theories or sometimes getting so caught up in politics that we lose sight of the fundamentals of our belief. When I'm speaking about fundamentals of belief, I'm talking about fundamentals such as grace. What does grace mean? Such as faith. What is faith? Such as righteousness. Such as sin. You see, these are fundamental concepts in Christianity. So today what we're looking at is salvation. Because brothers and sisters, sometimes we can get so caught up in salvation that we lose sight of its meaning. And we lose sight of what it does for us and our relationship with God. Therefore, brothers and sisters... When we look at salvation, we have to start with its definition. You see, salvation means to save. It comes from the Latin word salvere. And you see, salvere means to save. And that's where we get the word salvage from. You see, brothers and sisters, therefore, the essence of salvation means to be set free. Because you see, if you're saving something, you're saving it from destruction, meaning you're setting it free from the pending destruction that could come upon it. So therefore, salvation means to set free. That's why we can say as believers, he who the Son sets free, brothers and sisters, is free indeed. You see, this scripture is our fundamental text in Christianity because it provides insight to God's love and how far God will go to save and set his children free. Brothers and sisters, we often misinterpret John 
by thinking he's only talking about physical death, but John is also talking about situations that kill us. John is also talking about relationships as far as people, family, friends, and significant others that kill us. John is also talking about emotions such as loneliness, depression, jealousy, and low self-esteem that kill us. John is also talking about addictions that kill us. John is also talking about the weight of expectations, meaning what you should have. What you should be, what you should have done, all of these things that take away from us and kill us each day. John tells us that whosoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes we don't realize we need saving, brothers and sisters, until we've gone too far. Sometimes we don't realize or oftentimes we don't realize we need saving until we try to stop. You see, it's the subtle things that trap us into thinking we're all right and that everything is okay. You see, you must be honest with yourself and be honest with God and know when to cry out and say, Lord, I'm not okay. Lord, I need salvation. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, I need you to save me, not tomorrow, not yesterday. I need you to save me right now. Brothers and sisters, even Peter, when he stepped out of the boat and, and, and walked out on the water after he called Jesus out, and he saw Jesus in the storm and he said, Lord, if it is you, call me out on the water with you. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. And Peter stepped out there and at first he could walk. But when he noticed the wind and sea raging around him, he began to sink and fall. And the first thing Peter says is, save me. And I can imagine Jesus probably had a little smirk on his face. Jesus probably had a little smile on his face and reached down and caught Peter. And said, ye of little faith. And what he was doing was acknowledging the fact that, yes, you have faith. But you didn't have enough to sustain you. And brothers and sisters, the same way Jesus saved Peter is the same way Jesus can save you every time you're slipping. That's why Jesus is so essential to our faith. Jesus is so essential to our livelihood. Jesus is essential to our salvation, brothers and sisters. But before I get too ahead of myself, let me tell you about the book of John. You see, the book of John is a gospel, and gospel means what? That's right, good news. You see, this, this, this gospel of John doesn't start off like the other books of the Bible, the other gospels. You know, the other gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other books tend to start off with a birth narrative that's in Luke and in Matthew. But brothers and sisters, this book of John doesn't start off with a birth narrative. It doesn't start off talking about the birth of Jesus. This passage of scripture talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Brothers and sisters. John's gospel begins by displaying Jesus as the light that comes into a world of darkness. John 1, 
chapter 1, verses 5 and 9 says, Jesus is the light in the darkness that the darkness shall not overcome. Verse 9 says, Jesus is the true light which enlightens everyone that has come into the world. John 20 reminds us that the whole book of John is about belief. John 20, 31 says, but these are written, talking about his miracles, talking about Jesus's ministry. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John teaches us you can have life through belief in Jesus, which frees you from daily death. Just in case you forgot, salvation means to be set free. Our text tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But when I read this passage of scripture, I don't know if you've ever done this or thought this way, but sometimes I find myself thinking, well, why do we still die if we believe? Hmm? I know plenty of believers that have died. The scripture says, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. Some translations just say it flat out, shall not die, but have everlasting life. Therefore, I would interpret that as meaning the reward for belief is everlasting life. So what is John's gospel talking about then? How are we having everlasting life, but we still die? From day to day. Brothers and sisters, that makes me think of revival at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And this minister used to come and she used to tear down the house. It was Reverend Carolyn Knight. And every time Reverend Carolyn Knight would get up to preach, she would start off each sermon by saying, Isn't it good to be in the land of the dying on our way to the land? of the living. Brothers and sisters, she would come to the podium with her regalness and her prestige and look around the sanctuary and say, isn't it good to be in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living? And brothers and sisters, this reminded me of the Negro spiritual that said, I'm building me a home. And said, this earthly house is going to soon decay. But my soul's got to have somewhere to stay. And brothers and sisters, we find ourselves struggling with this understanding of life and death throughout the Bible. But what this shows us and what this interpretation allows us to see that life with Christ comes after worldly death. And brothers and sisters, you truly can't get to that eternal life with Christ until you physically die in this realm. And brothers and sisters, I implore you to reevaluate your understanding of death as a Christian, your understanding of death as a believer, because through belief 
in Jesus, it's only our physical bodies that die. But our souls are able to be sustained through this belief and relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, to truly understand this, we should ask ourselves what John's understanding of salvation is so that we can accurately define salvation for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes our understanding of salvation is limited to death. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, what I'm talking about is oftentimes we don't look at salvation or look at being saved from the standpoint of our relationship with God saving us from hell, saving us from a fiery grave, saving us from eternal damnation. But brothers and sisters, I came to show you within the text that Jesus's ministry wasn't only about life after death but having a better quality of life while you're living right now. Brothers and sisters, John's gospel shows Jesus's ministry as a ministry that helped people that were living in hell escape from hell. Brothers and sisters, we traditionally use the cross and Jesus's death as the example of salvation. But there are several examples of salvation. Remember, salvation means to be set free. There are several examples of this salvation throughout his life and throughout his ministry. This challenges us to understand or to reevaluate our understanding of salvation through realizing that salvation is more than being freed from death after death. But salvation is about the quality of life we can have also right now. Brothers and sisters, if your only understanding of salvation is what God can do for you after death, you're not tapping into the fullness of the freedom in Christ you can experience right now. You see, you don't have to wait to die to be free. You can experience freedom right now. John's gospel uses the example of Moses raising his staff to heal the people in the wilderness to symbolize Jesus being exalted as a liberator. Brothers and sisters, the text says right before it gets into John 3.16, just as Moses lifted up the staff in the wilderness, so the Son of Man shall also be lifted up. And brothers and sisters, what that speaks to is how in the Old Testament, you know how those Israelites were. They were in the wilderness and they got upset with Moses. And they got upset with God. And they started complaining and said, did you lead us out here to the wilderness just so we could die? At least in bondage, at least in slavery we had food. At least we had water. At least we had shelter. And brothers and sisters, they angered God in the wilderness. So God sent snakes and vipers to bite them. And the text tells us that many of them died. And brothers and sisters, this story is in the book of Numbers. And what it shows us is that God sent his judgment on them, which killed many of them. So then they cried out to God and they asked Moses for healing. And they apologized. They repented. And God told Moses to go get your staff. 
Make up something that looks like a snake and wrap it around your staff and anybody that looks at the snake on the staff will be healed. And brothers and sisters, God healed Mo, God healed the Israelites through the staff. That's why today, when you see an ambulance, you see the staff and you see the snake wrapped around it. That's why today, in the medical field, you see something called the caduceus that's on the white lab coats. That's the staff and the two snakes that are wrapped around it because what it does is acknowledge the healing power of God back in the wilderness. And John, the book of John in chapter 3, before it even gets to our verse in 3.16, it acknowledges how Moses lifted up the staff and brought healing to the people and how Jesus will be lifted up. And bring healing to God's children. Brothers and sisters, the text tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And although those Israelites that were stiff-necked, rude, and ungrateful deserved to die in the wilderness, God still saved them. And that's an example of how our sins are deserving of us to be sacrificed and killed. Our sins and our lifestyle sometimes is deserving for us to fall victim to the things that should kill us. But brothers and sisters, Jesus and his sacrifice atones for the sins of the world. You see, through God, John's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a savior, not just after death, not just post-crucifixion. This is his whole life leading up to the cross. Brothers and sisters, if you only see the significance of Jesus on the cross, you've missed his significance in his ministry and in his life. Brothers and sisters, John's gospel shows us that Jesus saves First, we see that Jesus' first saving act was when he turned water into wine. Pastor, I don't know about that one. I think you're stretching it. Well, let me tell you. You see, brothers and sisters, at that time period, Jesus was invited to a wedding with his disciples. And as you all know the story, because this is one uh, passage of scripture people love to use to justify drinking. But you know the story, the, ran, the wine ran out. The Cognac and Jack and Chardonnay, whatever they might have had, it, it, it ran out. And Jesus, uh, Jesus' mother comes to him and asks him to, re matter of fact, that's me being generous. Jesus' mother tells him to replenish the wine at the party. And brothers and sisters, we only look at that as, oh, Jesus performed a miracle and saved the party through restoring the wine. But what the backstory is, we don't realize, is that for the party to still be going on and the wine to run out would disgrace the family. People would have went back and talked about the family. People would have said, you know, they, they, they shouldn't have thrown a party. They couldn't afford to keep the wine flowing and going. You all know how you get at cookouts and at weddings and things when the food runs out or, or when you're at a, a banquet and they don't have enough or something. Everybody starts talking and then what started off as a good event turns to a bad event. And all people talk about is how something ran out. And brothers and sisters, Jesus saves these people at the wedding. 
that he probably doesn't even know that well from shame and from being humiliated. That's his first miracle. Then, brothers and sisters, Jesus saves the woman at the well. You know the story of the woman at the well. She's freed and saved from public humiliation because this woman at the well was trapped and hiding from the opinions of the other women that went to the well because during this time women would go to the well early in the morning to get uh, water to wash their clothes, to have water to wash themselves and to have water to feed the livestock. The women would come early in the morning but this woman comes later in the afternoon because this woman has had many husbands. And as you know, Jesus tells her, the man you're with now is not even your husband. And so, therefore, this woman is hiding from the other women because the other women gossip and talk about her. The other women call her all types of names, but she finds freedom in Jesus. And a woman that once was hiding goes back to the very people she was hiding from and testifies about God's grace and glory. And brothers and sisters, this turns into an evangelistic moment in which she testifies to a man that told and knew everything about her. And brothers and sisters, Jesus frees her from shame. Jesus frees her from the opinions of others and uses her as a vessel to glorify his name. Sometimes God will use the least of these to tell people who he is. We also see how Jesus saves with the handicapped man who was laying for 30 years by the pool of Bethesda. And brothers and sisters, you know this story. This man laid there waiting and hoping somebody would put him down into the pool. But every year he was passed up. And for 30 years he laid on this mat waiting to be put into the pool. And Jesus comes and asks him and says, do you want to be healed? And the man starts making excuses about what the people that are there to pick him up and put him into the pool won't do. And Jesus just asks him, do you want to be healed? Stop telling me what other people aren't doing. Stop telling me and stop blaming things on other people. Do you want to be healed? And brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't deal with putting him in the water. Jesus only deals with telling him to get up and walk. So therefore, Jesus frees him from his affliction. Jesus saves him from waiting on other people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus and his ministry is all about salvation. Jesus and his ministry is all about freedom. Brothers and sisters, we also have in the book of John, the woman caught in adultery. Oh, yes. The woman cheating on her husband. Oh, yes. And the, in the text, the text shows us that this woman was about to be stoned to death. But Jesus steps in and starts writing in the sand. And Jesus says that he that is without sin cast the first stone. And all the people that were there dropped their stones and left. And he saved a woman that was trapped between the sin of her mistakes and the judgment of Jewish law. He steps in. And saves her despite of her. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus can save the wedding party by refilling it and making sure the alcohol keeps running. If Jesus can save the woman at the well. If Jesus can save the handicapped man. If Jesus can save the woman caught in adultery. What makes you think that Jesus can't save you with the issues you're dealing with from day to? today. 
just in case you forgot, salvation means to be set free. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. Brothers and sisters, salvation means to be set free. Jesus' ministry is an example of freeing people from hell on earth so that they can have abundant life. Therefore, our understanding of salvation must go beyond what God can do for us after death. We must be determined to access salvation as Christians right here and right now. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to wait to die to receive salvation. You can receive it right here and right now, no matter what you're going through. You see, salvation we receive through Jesus Christ also is atonement for our sins. It's ironic about this. We don't talk about sin as much as we used to in the church. But brothers and sisters, salvation and the salvation we receive through Jesus Christ is also atonement for our sins. You see, atonement means the reconciliation between God and humanity. Atonement is bringing together or mending of the separation between God and a person because of sin. Let me say that again so you can understand atonement. We get, I'll give them two vocabulary words. I hope we're taking notes. First, salvation means to save, which also means basically to set free. And now we're on atonement, which means to reconcile, means reconciliation between God and humanity, means bringing together or mending of the separation between God and a person because of sin. Here we go. Stay with me now. Atonement or the origin of atonement is to atone. And if we break down, go to the etymology of the word atone, you see broken up, it means at one. You see that? At one. Meaning to be at one with God. Brothers and sisters, that's why in the Old Testament they would sacrifice animals to atone for the sins of the community. Because they understood back then that they couldn't be at one with God bearing their sins they had committed. So annually they would sacrifice animals to atone for the sins of the community. And what the priests would do, would gather, they would gather up all the people and have them confess all of their sins and they would sacrifice an animal and then they would have another animal called the scapegoat and they would say a prayer and they would make sure that all of the sins they gathered up, they would bless the goat and put all the sins on the goat and send the goat out in the community so that it would run and take the sins of the community with it and the community would then be purified. Brothers and sisters, we also see this same example with the death angel. 
When we think about the plagues of Egypt and how before the Israelites left and went into the wilderness, escaping from the Egyptians, they had to put blood, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that the death angel wouldn't come into the household. And brothers and sisters, that's why today we acknowledge Jesus as the lamb of God. Because Jesus' blood sacrifice atones for the sins of the world. Therefore, we can have life and have it more abundantly because his sacrifice atones for our sins, just like the sacrifice of the animals in the Old Testament. That's why as believers, we have to believe in Jesus. Because if you don't believe in Jesus, your sins are not atoned for. If you don't believe, you're negating the very sacrifice that's sustaining you as a Christian. So don't get caught up in people talking about, oh, you can believe in God. You don't have to pray to Jesus. You don't have to do all that. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. That's why we call on and say in Jesus' name. Because it acknowledges the sacrifice that Jesus made to atone for our sins. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one can boast. Let me go to that again. Come on, we're teaching today. You might want to get your notes out. I said, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Meaning you have been saved, meaning you receive salvation through believing in God, through believing in the sacrifice of Jesus. And this is not by your own doing. So don't get it twisted. Don't think you're saving yourself. Paul reminds the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, he reminds them, he says, do not think it's your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works so that no one can boast. So, yes, you may feel like you're holier than thou. Yes, you may be able to quote a lot of scripture. Yes, you may wear Sunday's vest and you may tune in to this live channel every Sunday and go to Bible study on Wednesday. But it's not your works that save you. Here we go, I'm about to come down your street and turn in your driveway. It's not your money that saves you. Hello. It's not that tithes and offering that saves you. Come on, somebody. It's not what you do on a ministry that saves you. Okay? It's Jesus that saves you. It's his sacrifice that saves you. Brothers and sisters, sin is inevitable. Meaning we can't get away from it. There's nothing we can do to stop sinning. All we can do is apologize and repent. But through belief in Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice atones for our sins, freeing us from earthly and spiritual death. Brothers and sisters, sin is inevitable. We all struggle with it. But Jesus' sacrifice covers a multitude of sins. This reminds me of when I was a recruiter before I started working here at the church. Um, I would have to interview different people that came in and one woman came in and she came and we, she was interviewing for a job but I 
to this day can't remember what she was interviewing for. But what I do remember is the story she told me of how she overcame alcoholism. And she told me that she overcame alcoholism not through a 12-step program, but solely through developing a stronger relationship with God. And I said to myself, wow, how, how did you do that? Because I wanted to hear firsthand how did her relationship with God save her from alcoholism. And she said, well, she was at a point in her life where she was frustrated because her marriage had failed. And she had children and she was raising children on her own. And she didn't have enough money to give them a better quality of life. She was frustrated because now her, grand, her mother, their grandmother, was taking more of a parental role than she was. And she was frustrated not feeling loved. She was frustrated feeling alone. And she turned from God and started turning to drinking and alcoholism. And brothers and sisters, sin itself is not the drinking. But it's when you turn from God and substitute God for things. Substitute God for substances. And she substituted God for alcohol. So she would drink every day. She would party at night. And oftentimes if, if she couldn't leave her children with her mother, she would just leave them at home by themselves at night so she could go out and party and drink. And what she was doing was trying to medicate, trying to, to, to drink her sorrows away and find some happiness at the bottom of a bottle. But brothers and sisters, she said what finally brought her to her knees and what finally saved her one night, she came in and she had had a late night of partying and drinking. She said she had left her children home by themselves. Her, her mother couldn't watch them this time and she stumbled in the house real late at night. She just collapsed on the couch and she was watching the news. And while she was watching the news, she could hear some voices in the background. She said at first she turned the TV down because she was thinking it shouldn't be Anybody else in the house and the children should be asleep, but she could still hear these voices sound like whispering in the background. And brothers and sisters, what she did was get up from the couch. Mind you, she's still drunk, so she's probably stumbling through the hallway. And as she comes down the hallway, the voices get a little louder, and she hears the voices coming from the children's room. Now she gets a little worried because she assumed the children were asleep, and she peeks around the corner and looks in the children's room, and she can see her children on their knees praying. And she can hear her children praying to God, asking that God would deliver her from drinking. Asking that God would stop her from going out every night. Asking that God would change her and save her. And brothers and sisters, she was so ashamed. That her children believed more in a God that could save her than she believed in a God that could save her. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in this predicament where sometimes the people praying for us have stronger faith than we do. And it's their prayers and their faith that bring us through, brothers and sisters. And at that moment, she realized something's got to change. At that moment, she realized that maybe she could be saved. And brothers and sisters, she said, she turned her life around, not by a 12-step program, and I'm not condemning the 12-step programs, but she turned her life around based off the faith of her children and the belief 
that the children had that Jesus could save them. And that faith that they had gave her the faith to believe that God could save them. And brothers and sisters, she said from that day forward, she never touched a drink again. And I came to let somebody know that the same God that saved her is the same God that can save you. The same God that's been delivering people before is the same God that can deliver you. That's why we must believe in Jesus. That's why we can't take this for granted. Brothers and sisters, the text tells us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. But have everlasting life. And brothers and sisters she was perishing. She was dying daily to drinking and to partying. But she realized something had to change. And brothers and sisters a life of sin pulls us away from God. And when we're pulled away from God, we die daily. Paul says in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he said, Oh, what wretched man am I? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Brothers and sisters, Paul also says in chapter 7, as he talks about sin, he says, I do not understand what I do. He's hard on himself. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Come on, somebody. Y'all understand that. But what I hate, I do. He said, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. He says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire. Let me say that again. He said, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do. He said, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Brothers and sisters, we repent to God to turn back to God. And Jesus' sacrifice saves us, helping us to become one with God despite our sinful nature. That was a lot of do's and don'ts in that passage of scripture, I know but go back and read it because you'll see the parallel between Paul's affliction. In another passage of scripture, he talks about how sin is like a thorn in his side. You'll see parallels in the affinity and the relationship we have with our sins. And how it's easier to sin than to do right. And brothers and sisters, this life of sin is what keeps us from being in right relationship with God. But God sent his son. His only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So therefore, brothers and sisters, God sent this buffer between us and God through Jesus Christ that helps us when we mess up. That helps us despite of our sinful nature, because our sinful nature alone cannot be with God. Jesus acts as a buffer between the sinful nature of humanity and God allowing us to be reconciled with him.
You see, this makes me think of, of gold and, and, and jewelry. Some of you all that are connoisseurs of, of gold, you all understand that gold comes in 10 carat, 14, 16, 24 carat, might come in more carats than that. But before a jeweler can fashion a ring or any piece of jewelry, he first has to get, have to get all the impurities out, he or she, right? They have to purify the gold and get all the impurities out. And where we get these different standards of carats, the 10, the 14, the 16, the 24, is the amount of gold that is bonded with a metal in the jewelry you have. So therefore, when you see 24 karat gold, that's, that's some of the most purest gold you can get. But the downfall of that is that it's softer, meaning the outside elements of the world can cause it to bend can cause it to break, can, 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 can cause it to have all types of abrasions on it because it's so soft. So most people recommend you get 14 or 16 karat gold because it's been bonded with a metal that allows it to be strong. And brothers and sisters, Jesus operates as that metal that bonds with God, but also protects us or protects the sinful nature we have from destroying that relationship we should have with God. So Jesus acts as that advocate, allowing us to be in community with God and freeing us of the sin that stops us from being one with God. That's why in Romans chapter 6 it says, But thanks be to God that though you say that you, I'm sorry, but thanks be to God. That though you say, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is why Jesus is essential to our relationship with God, brothers and sisters. First John chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 says, my little children. These things I have written to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He and it, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Brothers and sisters, you can't be in true relationship with God without believing in Jesus. This is what distinctly makes us Christian. You see, we believe that Jesus' sacrifice atones for our sins, granting us full access to God. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is so we can be saved from ourselves in this life and the next. So brothers and sisters, I have to conclude by asking you a question. Won't you let God set you free? You see, won't you let God set you free from a life of sin? Won't you let God set you free from physical afflictions of health and health challenges? Won't you let God set you free from the expectation of others? Won't you let God set you free from regret 
and from failed dreams. Won't you let God set you free from missed opportunity? Won't you let God set you free from toxic relationships? Won't you let God set you free from doubt and lack of faith? Brothers and sisters, the text tells us to believe in Jesus so that you will not perish but have eternal life. The hymn writer says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When no one else could help, love lifted me. The hymn writer reminds us that it's through God love that saves us. It's through God love that lifts us out of the depths of despair. It's through God's love that allows us to have salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, at this time, if you're looking to be free, if you're tired of being in the bondage of addiction, the bondage of failed expectations, the bondage of all the things the world says you should have, you should be, and that you may not be. If you're ready to be free from those things and put those things of the world aside and not wait on salvation after death, but receive salvation right now through whatever you're going through, I offer a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, not just a relationship with God that omits Jesus, but a relationship with God that validates and understands the importance of the sacrifice of his son. Brothers and sisters, if you did not know before, this is the fundamental tenet of our belief. That we only have salvation through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's not only in the sacrifice of his death that shows us that we can be saved, but it's also in his life and in his ministry. And whether it's in his life or in his death, you can see that you can be saved from earthly afflictions right now. And your soul can be saved from eternal damnation. But the first thing you must do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And as I always say every Sunday, it's, it's easy to confess with your mouth. But the difficult part is reminding yourself and believing in your heart that Jesus is a Savior. So at this time, I encourage you to give your life to Christ. If you're looking for a church home, we here at New Morning Light Baptist Church would love to be your church family. You can give the pastor your hand, as my home pastor used to say. And give God your heart as I help lead you on this journey to having a deeper and more authentic relationship with God. Thank you so much for joining us. I thank you so much for taking the time to listen and understand the foundation of our belief as Christians. Now in true New Morning Life fashion, something we say here to give us encouragement from day to day is the joy I have. The world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. That we're thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do.
Now, brothers and sisters, may the peace of God and the grace of God keep you and bless you from this point forevermore. Amen. All right.